We've been here a couple days now, and uh, two nights, two nights of um, no rest for some of you. Maybe you stayed up, and uh, of course you weren't talking after 11. You were just up signing, or maybe you were writing notes to one another, but no one was talking, I'm certain of that. Actually, around 10.59 last night, we went out to, uh, a bunch of us went out to uh, Applebee's. You might want to might want to go to Applebee's. They have half price, um, what are they, uh, appetizers, after 9 o'clock every night. So if you'll wait about 15 minutes after the service tonight so my group can get there before yours, then you can go there and really it's, <laughs> I mean, you can get a nice appetizer for five bucks. It's really a good deal. But anyway, the point was, it, no, I don't get paid for that. Uh, at 10.59... We were in the car, we were heading back, we were done, and I looked and I said, okay, folks, we got one more minute. And I can guarantee you, everybody in our car on the way back, we were quiet from 10.59 on. We never said another word, just to honor the curfew. We, I, I know you're laughing at me. I, I, I'm an old person, don't laugh at me. Go back to that list of H's, and you've just violated about five of them by laughing at me, all right? I want you to know that. Anyway, uh, it's good to be here this morning, and it's been good all week long. I really enjoy these times, not only renewing acquaintances with people that I've known, some for 30, 40 years, but getting to meet so many new people. I went over to Starbucks, yeah, I got another job, so I can afford Starbucks now, and uh, went over there this morning, and there were some uh, four young guys, they're probably in here right now, and we, just, we talked for about a half hour over there and had a good time. I like times like that where I get to know people, hear what's on their heart. So I hope that you're enjoying yourself and having a wonderful time this week. I need to grab something to put my Bible down on. What do we have up here? Uh, music. Here's a music stand. This will work for me. No problem. I'll just throw all this music and this iPad on the ground, all right? Is that all right? Go for it. Thank you very, very much. Oh, I do have some business from yesterday that I need to finish. And that is, at the end of my message uh, yesterday, uh, the last three things in my list, I didn't give you a word, and I had a couple people ask me, two or three, so if you have this, these were, number seven was hospitality, that was kindness, number eight was help, I used the word assist, number nine, the word halt, simple stop, number ten, the word hope. You could put in there positive, or you could put expectancy. Now, I do have an 11th word, an 11th word, and Chris gave you some excellent advice this morning to help you to get to number 11. The 11th word is habit. This needs to become a habit. I mean, I just know you, because you're like me. You're not going to get up every morning and read down through this list. But if you did what Chris said, if you did that for 10 weeks and focused on one and then two, maybe after 10 weeks, this would become very natural for you in your conversational life where these thoughts, at least you pass them through your mind as you talk to people because they are so very, very important, guaranteed. And as I said yesterday, 
they work in any conversational situation. I used marriage as an illustration and tried to give some, maybe some marriage help. But I've used these now. I, the first time I ever used it publicly, I mentioned yesterday, was with Alan and his people in his home. And that was a year ago, I'm sure. I think it was last year when we were here. But I've shared this in situations uh, where um, uh, I work as a chaplain part-time for a food service company. And I meet with all 12 groups of that uh, food service company every month and teach them the values of the company. The owner of the company is a Christian man. He hired me to do this. And when he hired me, I asked him, I said, Kip, what do you want me to do? And he said, thought for a moment, he said, I want you to win my company to Christ. That's a direct quote when he hired me. So I have free reign to go into all these groups and talk to them about the Lord. Now, it's kind of like a public school. They have to bring it up first. So I know how to get them to bring it up. I say, well, let me, uh, let me ask you, do you have any kind of religious background? So I ask them that, and then they start talking about the religious background, so that opens the door for me to talk to them about the Lord. <laughs> Pretty smart, huh? Anyway, that's number one, history. You need to know how to start conversations with people to get into their life, to talk with them about the Lord. So I've, you can use these principles in evangelism, in counseling, uh, with people, uh, supervisor to worker, relationships, parent, child, teacher, student, pastor, people, relationships. These are just general principles that work in any situation in life. And I know, because about two weeks ago, knowing that I was gonna do this here, I sat down with my wife over dinner a different situation than the one when she told me she didn't love me anymore many years ago. But I sat down, I said, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach this to you at uh, dinner as we're waiting for our dinner to come. And I want you to listen to me, and I want you to tell me what you think. And so I went through this, and I applied all of these to our relationship. That was a good time to do that. By the way, guys, I encourage you to do that. Take this, sit down with your wife or wives, Sit down with your husband and sit and just go through it. Go through it and talk about each one of these principles and see how they might work out. But when we were done, it really made for a great conversation with my wife. And she agreed. She said, you know, you really covered some important things there. You just need to do it from now on. Anyway, um, so I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 15 this morning. I'm going to deal with another kind of a, a human situation, uh, conflict resolution. We were talking about conversation yesterday, we're talking about conflict resolution today. And by the way, all of the principles that I gave you yesterday are principles that you can uh, use in this. But we're going to go to Acts chapter 15, a famous conflict that took place between Paul and Barnabas. And uh, I guess the thing about this that is interesting, it even, even the best of people, I mean, people that we hold and uh, in, we revere in the Bible, Paul and Barnabas, I mean, two of the greatest figures in the New Testament, no doubt, that these two men, they had a sharp contention with one another, a sharp disagreement with one another to the degree that they separated for a time one for another. So there isn't anybody in here that uh, couldn't 
or shouldn't benefit from what we're going to say this morning when we talk about conflict resolution. Now, let me back up one step and we'll read the text, all right? You say, why are we talking about this? Several weeks ago, I asked uh, Mark Trotter, I asked Pastor Trotter, I said, what are you going to do? What are you going to teach on? Certainly, I don't want to to cover the same ground that he is, and the likelihood of doing that is almost non-existent. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being repetitive or stepping on somebody's party or anything like that. So he told me what he was going to be doing. And obviously, he's talking about our relationship with God. And that is the most important thing that we could talk about from the pulpit. There's nothing more important than your relationship with God and being a person that could call fire down from heaven, so to speak, as he has taught us. But there's more in the Bible than just our relationship with God. I have a a mission statement that goes like this. It's eight words long, and this is how what I try to live. Love God, love people, serve others, tell everyone. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment is to love your neighbor, Leviticus chapter 19, as yourself. So love God, love people. The third thing is serve others. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's Mark chapter number 10. The third part of my mission statement is, as a result of loving God, I need to love people, and as a result of loving people, I need to serve people or serve others. And the best way that I can serve others is to tell everyone, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the most important word that we can give to anyone. And that's the greatest help that you could ever give to another human being is to give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the main things about the Christian and the gospel ministry to me are, I need to love God, I need to love people, I need to serve others, I need to tell everyone. Now, Pastor Trotter's been talking about the love God relationship. So when he told me that, I thought, well, I'm going to deal with the next level down. And this isn't as important, but it's very practical. And if you're going through marital difficulties or friendship difficulties or conflict right now, it may be, in your mind, more important than your relationship with God, although it has everything to do with your relationship with God. Don't misunderstand me when I say that. So we were going to talk about how do we get along with one another? How do we get along with one another? Uh, I'm sure that there's people in here just because of the size of the crowd um, that have, you have a conflict with somebody. You have a, what you might even call an enemy. Maybe that enemy is even in this room. Somebody that has offended you or disappointed you or failed you. Uh, and consequently, you find yourself in a situation where you are separated and you really don't want to talk to them. You don't want to have anything to do with them, as a matter of fact. And what that does, and we've heard this before, that your relationship or your failure to resolve that conflict between that individual and yourself, that affects your whole church. It's not just you and that person, because your failure or that person's failure 
or both of your failures to be able to reconcile your relationship, what that has done now, that's caused a division in your church and you're just not as strong as you could be. Maybe, I don't know, that a church is just as strong as its weakest link. Think about that. If your church is weakened and it is what it is or it isn't what it should be because of your conflict or your poor relationship or the lack of resolving a relationship with another individual, and that could even be your pastor. Maybe you don't like him. Maybe you don't like listening to him. And so when he is done preaching, or maybe it's someone else, when they're done leading, you're bad-mouthing them behind their back. And what that does is that serves to sow discord into the church and weaken the church. So we're going to look here in Acts chapter 15. I don't have the time here this morning. I do want to make sure that I stay on time. We have a lot to do every day that we're here. And... Uh, I want to jump right into Acts chapter 15. I have to assume that you know something. The first half of the book of Acts deals with, or the main character is the Apostle Peter up until about Acts chapter number 12. Although Paul is introduced earlier in the book, he's not the main focus. But in chapter number 13, Paul the Apostle becomes the main focus in the book to the end of the book. The last half of the book of Acts really deals with four or five things. Number one, it deals with Paul's three missionary journeys. It also deals with the conference in Jerusalem, trying to establish the relationship between the law and grace. And then the end of the book of Acts deals with Paul's journey to Rome when he appealed to Caesar because he was being accused of all kinds of things by the Jews in Acts chapter 21, he appealed to Caesar and uh, they sent him to Caesar. And the last uh, seven chapters of the book of Acts deals with his journey to go to stand before the Caesar to plead his case. And of course, Acts chapter 29, that's where we're living today. The book of Acts doesn't end in the sense that that's the end of the story. It's really the beginning of the story for you and I. But now we're looking at Paul. We're in the second half of the book. We're in Acts chapter 15, and we read in verse 36. It says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. Can you believe that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement over this particular issue that they said, listen, you go your way, I'll go my way. I'll pick up a new buddy. Barnabas picked up John Mark. They traveled. And Paul said, I'll get a new, I'll get a new assistant. I'll get Silas and he can travel with me. Now we know ultimately that those relationships were resolved later on, although there's not a specific record of how that was resolved. We only know that by reading later in the book of Acts and some of the other epistles that that conflict between Paul and Barnabas was resolved. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you some thoughts on how to resolve conflicts biblically with 
people. Anyway, notice in verse number 39, it says, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now, Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning. We are broken people, as we said yesterday. Each one of us has weaknesses, weak spots. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. And there are some things that we have taken on in our lives that we wrestle with every single day and may, to some degree, haunt us until we're raptured out of here, we go to our grave. So we ask you, Lord, to help us. Lord, I pray that we would be a unified group. Unity is one of your attributes, united, one, in one accord. And Lord, when we do not live according to your attributes, we're out of fellowship with you and we're out of fellowship with one another, and we are hindered, handicapped, in accomplishing the work that you've called us to do. So help us here, Lord, and help me to present these thoughts in a way that will be helpful to each person uh, on, under my voice. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So we're going to talk about conflict resolution. This is, uh, as I said, it's kind of a strange situation. Who would ever think that uh, such a great man like the Apostle Paul, he would end up in a relationship with such a great man? Remember, Barnabas was the fella that really was the ticket for the Apostle Paul to get introduced to the apostles and ultimately have the ministry that he had. It was Barnabas that took a chance on bringing Paul in because the other disciples, the other apostles, they were afraid of Paul. Paul had a terrible reputation from Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 and what he, what he had done. Of course, the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He had a terrible reputation. He was certainly, if he didn't kill somebody physically, he was consenting unto the death of Christians in the earliest parts of the church. But Barnabas is the fellow that took a chance and said, no, listen, this guy's okay, he's right, he's had a conversion experience, we need to welcome him. And so the apostles, the disciples, they took a chance on Paul, and we know the results of all of that. Could it be possible that two spirit-filled, committed individuals failed to find common ground and the wherewithal to resolve their conflict? Here we are. Could it be? There may be people like that in here. Maybe the person you have conflict with isn't here this morning, but right now you're thinking of that relationship, and that's what comes to your mind. Now, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 10, and you can give me the next slide if you would. This is one of the most, I think, important passages in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. I really do. It's so filled with the wisdom of God. Only by pride cometh contention. Now, if you take that at face value, that tells me there's a little pride stuff going on between Paul and, and, and Barnabas. Now, I'm going to guess that it was Paul's problem more than Barnabas because Paul's the one who said, no, John Mark, not with me, not with me. Barnabas said, what's the problem? What's the problem with John Mark? And they had their discussion, their contention about it, and pride got involved. So if you got a problem with somebody, you can count on the fact that pride's involved. From whence come wars and fightings among you? 
It's an inside job, my friend, and it is your pride. Proverbs 15, something I could have said yesterday, a soft answer turneth away wrath. If you don't memorize another verse in the book of Proverbs, remember that one. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Screaming should not be followed by screaming. Insult by insult. Until it escalates where people begin to throw pots and pans and shoot 357 magnums at one another. And that's what happens. Two people get upset, and it may be in a marriage relationship. Something is said, something is, we've got to trump that, and nothing political there. And then we've got to say something on top of that. And before you know it, we've got violence. We've got fisticuffs in the home. And people are killed in domestic violence situations. We know that. Romans chapter 12, I'm glad this verse is in the Bible. It says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, maybe I'm using a little liberty in my interpretation of this, but that tells me there might be some people out there that I can't live peaceably with. You know what I'm saying? It says, as much as is possible. Well, you know what? You are impossible. So that get, that, I, I can squeak out of that passage in Romans chapter 12. Now, as a pastor over the years, 33 years as a senior pastor, and then probably another 10 years in the ministry, and I'm still dealing with people, uh, even in my, in my responsibilities with the, co- the company that I work with and at church, I'm still counseling people. I'm in my 47th year of dealing with people and personal issues, probably other than financial issues, oftentimes in marriage, and vocational issues, the thing that I deal with the most is conflict resolution. Two people come into my office or have come into my office, they sit down and they begin, I'm the judge, they're presenting, we've got the prosecuting and defense attorney, the two people, and they begin to present their case. And I'm looking for some kind of an amicable amicable way to resolve the conflict uh, with those individuals. So I'm speaking from great experience when I talk about conflict resolution. I've seen an awful lot. There's a book that I read, now, and I don't recommend a lot of books publicly, but I do recommend this. And you may have read it, but if you're a pastor or in the ministry or husband and wife, you want to read a good book that will help your relationship. It's a book by a man named Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E. And the, the name of the book is The Peacemaker, The Peacemaker. It is a great book on bringing peace into your relationship. If you're having a troubled relationship with anybody, but particular, particularly if you're having trouble in your marriage relationship, this is a great book. Sandy writes, quote, whenever you are involved in a conflict, you may apply four basic principles of peacemaking by asking yourself these questions. Number one, how can I please and honor the Lord in this situation? Is that usually the first question you ask yourself when you're arguing with someone? Oh, my wife has just upset me. She's not going to vacuum the blinds. Remember my story yesterday? She's not going to be like my mother and do what my mother did. I can't believe it. But how can I please the Lord in this conflict with my wife? 
By the way, that wasn't my first thought. My first thought was, yes, you will. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. My first thought was to force my will upon her. And that's usually what we do when we get involved in conflict. But Sandy says, the first question should be, how can I please and honor the Lord in this situation? Second question, how have I contributed to this conflict and what do I need to do? I don't do that. I say, how has my wife contributed to this conflict and this is what you need to do? See, this is topsy-turvy, upside down. But these are the right question to ask. Here's the third. How can I help others understand how they have contributed to this conflict? Now, I can be honest with my wife or my friend that I'm in conflict with after I've asked the Lord, help me. I want you to be honored through this conflict. And then, Lord, help me to examine myself. What have I done to contribute to this? And now... Speak the truth in love, and you can talk to the other person after you have humbled yourself before them and say, listen, this is what bothered me. I find out, have found out that that works with my wife. If I tell my wife what I have done wrong, then apologetically I'll say, Penny, well, let me tell you why I responded that way, and I was wrong that I did, but you said this and this this really bothered me. When I say it that way, she doesn't get upset at me. But if I turn around and point the finger and say, well, I'll tell you why I'm upset. I'm upset because you, tone of voice, volume, finger pointing, all of that stuff. It's a whole different situation. Whole different response am I going to get from her. And the reason why that is true is because she's not perfect. I've set the stage for an argument by raising my voice, by being accusatory, by pointing fingers, and now she's going to defend herself. Now, if she was a perfect woman, she'd say, let's see, how can God get glory out of this situation? How have I failed my husband while he's pointing his bony finger on my nose? How have I hurt him? Now, how could I humbly address him and get him to understand that he is part of the problem also? Which leads to number four question. How can I demonstrate forgiveness and encourage a reasonable solution to the conflict? Where can we find common ground? Maybe I am wrong. Listen, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have said that. You're right. Let's do it your way. I have found out this, because my wife is a lot kinder than I am. I found out when I put my wife first and me second, she does the same thing. And I don't mean that she puts herself first and me second. She turns it around. She says, no, you first, me second. I like that. I've kind of figured out how to manipulate my wife, in other words. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding about that. But I found out, a simple little example. We're going to go out to dinner. Are we going to go to Chili's or Applebee's, all right? Say that's the choice. Well, she knows that Applebee's is my favorite and Chili's is not. I don't like Chili's, whatever. That's not necessarily true. But anyway, she'll say, well, where do you want to go to dinner? And I say, I really don't care. It doesn't matter. Now, I do care, but I'm lying to her and saying, I really, I really don't care. We can go where you want to go. And she says, no, you know, the last time we went out to dinner, we, we went where I wanted 
to go, so why don't we go where you want to go? And I say, listen, no, sir, we're not going to go where I want to go. We're going to go where you want to go. Do you understand? No, we are not going to go where I want to go. We're going to go where you want to go. You want to arm wrestle about it? Have you ever had a disagreement with your spouse like that? I haven't either. You understand the, the irony and the humor in that. But I find that when I give to my wife and say, it doesn't matter to me, let's, that she turns around and essentially she does the same thing to me. She says, no, it's okay. Why don't we go where you want to go? And honestly, as people that have taken me out to eat here, I'm an indiscriminate eater. I eat everything. I'll eat out of a garbage can if I'm hungry. I really will. As long as it doesn't smell too bad. Anyway, now Sandy suggests these four basic principles that correspond with the four questions that we've given to you. These four statements. Number one, glorify God. Where did I hear that before this week? In fact, a lot of the things I will say will cover ground that other speakers have covered. Because, you know, this book is all tied together. You can't talk about a theme without touching on another important theme and another important theme. You can't talk about dealing with people without talking about your relationship with God. You can't talk about your relationship with God without talking about how you then deal with people. It's all tied together. Glorify God in your situation. Get the log, you understand the the analogy, get the log out of your own eye, gently restore your brother his fault, and go and be reconciled. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I think it's verse 21 that says, well, 20 says we're ambassadors, and then verse 21 in that chapter says that we are ministers of reconciliation. That's my main responsibility. I'm going to use another word. I'm to be a peacemaker. I'm to be a peacemaker. I'm to bring peace between man and God and God and man. Now, I don't have to straighten God out. He's got it. But I've got to try to bring human beings into reconciliation with God to be a peacemaker. That's our assignment as human beings here, as evangelists, as soul winners, as disciplers, our assignment is to be ambassadors, to be uh, 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 soul winners, to, to, to be worshipers, there's disciplers and all that, but part of all that is we're to be peacemakers, peacemakers. Look at your relationship with people in your church from that point of view, and it may change the way you deal with people. You're a peacemaker. You hear two people or about two people who are at odds with one another. How can you make that situation, without making it worse, how could you actually make it better? Now, I don't have time to go into the history of John Mark, but there's a lot of things said about him that you can pick out. Acts chapter 12, you can see John Mark earlier than where we read. Chapter 13, where we read, he shows up. Chapter, or, uh, chapter 15 shows up in chapter 13. We know this about John, Mark, Paul, and Barnabas. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that Paul and Barnabas reconciled because it says, and I quote, 
or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? The, fa- the fact of the matter is, by the time 1 Corinthians is written, these two fellows have reconciled. Colossians chapter 4 says that Bar- Barnabas and John Mark were related to one another, and that's why Barnabas was so strong on bringing John Mark with him. He was his nephew, if I'm not mistaken. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Mark mentioned positive, was Mar- Mark was mentioned positively in Paul's final written work. We believe that 2 Timothy was the last of the epistles written, and he said, quote, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing of his kingdom. So we're, we're looking into the last uh, epistle that Paul wrote, and he speaks positively of his relationship with John Mark. I would like to just reference this for a moment. There was a, another book that I read years ago. You may be familiar with a fellow named Charles Swindoll. I don't hear a lot about him anymore. He's probably still on the radio. But Charles Swindoll, he's got, uh, you know, there may be some differences that you and I might have with him, but he's a very wise individual. And he wrote a book called Strike the Original Match. And in chapter number seven of that book, the book is worth just buying just to read chapter number seven. When I bought this book 25 years ago, I, and I haven't done this with many books, I read it in one day. I sat down and I couldn't put it down. I read it cover to cover in one day. Not that it's an 800-page book, but I couldn't put it down. Swindoll says this about how to have a good fight. That's the title of that particular chapter. Now notice the, the words that are used here, how many of these things go back to what I said yesterday. Be committed to honesty. Wasn't that one of my principles? And mutual respect. That was, that was number two and number three on the list. Make sure your weapons are not de- deadly. That's talking about the words that you use. Agree together that the time is right. You don't force a conversation on somebody that's not ready to talk about your conflict. Um, I can't make my wife, now Penny, we're going to sit down and we're going to resolve this right now. If I say that to her, I know what her response will be. And Chris, you know what her response will be too. She says, no, not right now. I'm not ready to talk about it. I can't force her to sit down or she can't force me to sit down and talk about it. We've got to find the right time. Be ready with a positive solution right after you take the first swing. Remember how to have a good fight. Watch your words, guard your tone, don't swing at your mate in public. And when it's all over, help clean up the mess. Kindness, hospitality was the word that we use. Kindness, tenderness, and Sandy in his book is saying, That's number four in this, forgiveness, forgiveness to walk away. Now, these are following the the next slide. It's going to be notes from the peacemaker. And uh, Sandy talks about different responses to conflict. These are the way people respond when they get in an argument or a disagreement with somebody. On the left, they escape. They want to get out of the conflict. Unfortunately, the first thing on the list is you take your own life. We don't have to deal with this problem anymore. It could be that you flee, that you run away from it, or you just deny that you've got a problem with this person. Those are very human ways that people deal with conflict. The peacemaker 
overlooks, reconciles, and negotiates. Those are principles how to deal with people when you're not getting along with them. Third party that is bringing somebody else, and that's what people do with me as a pastor, they bring a third party in to try to help resolve the conflict, mediation, arbitration, and holding people accountable. Then on the right, this is another way that people respond to conflict, and that is they attack, they litigate, they get involved in violence and actually throwing pots and pans and maybe weaponry, those kind of things. Now, here's the peacemaker paradigm, if I can use that term here this morning. Remember, I went back to those four questions. There were four things that deal with it. So let's look at the first thing, glorify God. So we're having a problem with somebody, husbands and wives, those of you that are engaged, any relationship, I don't care what it is. Again, we're talking about people stuff here. If you've got a problem with somebody and you want to be a peacemaker and resolve it, and you should want that, we are all ministers of reconciliation. What do you do? The first thing you do, and not the natural thing, but the first thing you do is glorify God. How can I please and honor God in this situation. Three thoughts. Conflict affords one, and we heard Dan talk about this yesterday. This is, was the conclusion, Colossians 1.27. This was the conclusion of his message yesterday morning. Conflict affords one an opportunity to be Christ-like. What would Jesus do in this situation? If my wife and I are arguing over who's going to vacuum the blinds once we get married, do you think Jesus would sit there and argue about that? You think he would do? How childish, how infantile, how foolish can you be? Me. That's me. How foolish can one be? Conflict affords one the opportunity to be Christ-like. So this is what I want to do. I'm having a tiff with somebody. We're not getting along. Now, what would Jesus do? Now, I'm, just to be honest with you, you're not going to know how to handle that if you don't know the Bible, if you don't read the Bible. What would Jesus do? What's his last name? Jesus who? See, if you don't know the Bible, if you don't spend time in the Word of God, devotional books, 52 weeks a year, D1, D2, Bible Institute, life groups, home Bible studies, wherever it is, if we're, and your own personal reading, if you're not in the Word of God, you're not really going to know what Jesus would do because the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man thinks about himself. Life is all about, guess who? Me. I know you were thinking it's about you, but no, life's all about me. It's all about me. Everything's all about me. And that's the natural way we think. We have to go against that kind of thinking. Conflict affords one the opportunity to be Christ-like. We know that we're to, be lit, to live in peace as much as lieth within you. Live peaceably with all men. And we need to trust in the Lord and do good. Well, I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to humble myself before this person. I'm going to try to glorify God in my response and try to settle this conflict that I have with this individual and do it in a godly way. And God, 
I'm going to trust you for the results. This person might take advantage of me when I humble myself before them. I might do an act of kindness for them to try to get their attention, and they may just throw it right back in my face. Then I'll be really upset. You better be prepared to be rejected even when you do the right thing. You understand that? Let's see. Who did, who, that happened to Jesus, I think. He did the right thing, and let's see, what did they do? Oh, they crucified him. Oh, John the Baptist, remember him? Talk about prosperity gospel. He got his head cut off because he said the right thing to the right person at the right time. There is no guarantee. There is no guarantee when you do the right thing that you're going to get the right results. Ultimately in heaven, it's all, all the books are cleared and taken care of then. But right now, there's no guarantee just because you've done the right thing that you're going to get the solution or the results that you envisioned at the beginning. You know what? I've got a young man back home and he's probably 30, 35 years old. He's taking a church in Rochester, and I, I'm not, I can't go into the story to tell you how this happened, how I got to know him, but I just, God really put it all over me to watch this guy and help this guy. He was in, and I knew he was in over his head. He was in, he's not a student of mine, not that my students have been in over their head, but, it, but I just got to know him, and I decided, and I believe God led me to be his friend. A couple days ago, just before I came here, he wrote me an email, and he said, I have some sad news I resigned my church yesterday. And then he gave me the reasons. And I knew some of the conflicts that were going on and some of the reasons why that was happening. And, and uh, I just thought to myself, you know, this is, it's a terrible situation. But I didn't want to condemn him. I want to help him now. This is an opportunity to help somebody who's wounded and intersect at person's life and get involved with them and help them through this there's something beyond this for him he came to rochester new york to start a church he was doing the right thing he believed god led him i believe that he was right about that however it didn't work out is he a failure i'm not going to treat him like a failure maybe this was just one step a big disappointment in his life that he needed to get to the next place he's going to. There are countless people in here that had plans and visions and you believed it was God's will for you to do it and it didn't happen that way. And initially, you were depressed over that and thought, has God let me down? And then in time, you found out that God used that event in your life to teach you something that you needed for the next assignment that he had for you in your life. Do you understand that? God has not forgotten you. God does not abandon you. God will not forsake you. Even in our difficult times, when we do the right thing and we expect the right results, this is going to work out great for me and it doesn't. God has not abandoned you. This is part of your education, part of your schooling. And I'm going to guess that just about everybody in here has had that kind of an experience. Trust in the Lord and do good. Number two, get the log out of your own eye in conflict resolution. Get the log out of your own eye. Deal with yourself 
first. You know, we're inclined when something bad happens to us, we'll say something like, this is human, I do this. Well, why does this have to happen to me? Again, has God abandoned me? Has God lost track of me or whatnot? Why does this have to happen to me? Let me ask you a question. Why shouldn't it happen to you? Who the heck do you think you are? That you're above the problems and difficulties and disappointments of this life. You think you're supposed to have it just everything made perfect for you? A nice golden path to success for you? Why shouldn't it happen to you? Why shouldn't you go broke? Why shouldn't someone betray you? Why shouldn't you get sick? Why shouldn't you lose a relationship? Why shouldn't you find out that your husband or your wife has been cheating on you. Why not? Who do you think you are? You think you're above the problems of this life? Now, I'm not wishing any of those things on anybody here, but you better take the right attitude towards that. Why not? Tell John the Baptist he shouldn't have lost his head. And tell Jesus that he shouldn't have been crucified on the cross. And tell the other apostles, most of them ended up some kind of persecuted death. Tell them, and God knows how many people have lost their lives for the cause of Christ. Tell them that God forgot them and let them go. No, 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 no. That's where really trusting in the Lord comes in. Not in the good days, but in the bad days. Get the log out of your own eye. How have I contributed to this conflict? And what do I need to do? A, is it really worth fighting over the blinds? Vacuuming the blinds? Proverbs 19 says the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Can you pass over someone's transgression in your life? The Bible says it's glory when you do that. Conflict starts, as we said before, in the heart. James chapter 4, from whence come wars and fightings? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members, of course. And then confession. I think that was in uh, Pastor Trotter's message. That was the third point of those four C's. Confession brings freedom. He that covereth shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's a principle that is true for the point number three, the four C's that Pastor Trotter was preaching the other night. He didn't reference to this verse, but there's all kinds of verses like this in the Bible. That's why we read the Bible. It has to be pounded into your head. In all of the media, in all of the individuals competing for your attention out there are taking you away from Christ, away from biblical principles, away from spirituality. And if you don't do something about it, like ignore as much of it as you can, and secondly, get in the Word of God, you will be ill-equipped to live this life. This book is an instruction manual for life. You understand that? You better get to know it. I don't know a place in this country better equipped and more intent in doing that than your fellowship, Living Faith Fellowship, what you people are doing. 
This is wonderful. If you're out here and you don't know the Bible, you've been involved in these churches for a year, shame on you. Shame on you. Get involved. Get in D1, D2. Get in Bible study. Get in the institute. Take something. Keep going forward. I used to run marathons years ago. And I asked my fellow, my friend who got me in, I said, what if I get tired? What if I can't make it? And I was worried. I'd never run one, obviously. What happens? He said this. He said, fall forward. If you're going to fall, fall forward. Go forward. Keep going forward. And then... Crawl across the finish line. If that's what you have to do, crawl across the finish line by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Let me give you the third thought. Gently restore. Gently restore people. This isn't easy to do. We're human. How can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to this conflict? Number one, it's just between you and me. We don't broadcast our difficulties with other people. Keep those kind of things confidential. Don't get on the phone and say, you know, I was with Madge the other day, and let me tell you what Madge did. Madge, blah, 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 blah. Well, what do you think about that? What would you do if you were me? Ah, crud. <laughs> if you got a problem with somebody, grow up. Grow up. Follow this. How can I glorify God? What did I do wrong in this situation? Then how can I gently restore this individual? And then how can I bring forgiveness and reconciliation to my relationship? That's what we ought to be thinking about. People to people stuff. It's just between the two of us. Speak the truth. In love, Ephesians chapter 4 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Take one or two other people along. I've never had to do this. I never, I was, I've always been able to, to <laughs> settle my disputes with my wife without bringing other neighbors in, you know. I'm not going to do that because I know I'm going to look like a jerk because I'm going to be the one that they're all going to say, well, George, you're the idiot in this. You know that. Your wife is right. You're an idiot. So I'm bringing anybody else in. But if we have to do it, Matthew chapter 18, bring somebody else in that you trust. That's what people do when they go into a pastor's office. A husband and wife are having a dispute over something, and so they come to the pastor, they agree to talk in the presence of the pastor to present their cases or the issues that they're having, and then they sit down and they say, now, pastor, what do you think? What do you think we should do? How can we resolve this conflict between the two? That's a good thing to do. Now, I'm not trying to give your pastors a lot of work, but if you can't resolve your conflict, find somebody, and I would suggest a pastor in your church, that will sit down with you and listen and try to bring some sense to this whole thing and bring some biblical resolution to your problem. That's one of the reasons they're there. You don't think they've had problems? I've had problems in my relationship. My wife told me this. My wife said the best thing that ever happened to you, George, is to begin counseling people in their marriage problems. You say, well, why is that? Because I remember sitting there waxing eloquently, 
telling people, the Bible says this, and you ought to be doing that. And I see the people, they're just hanging on every word, and I'm all done. And they say, oh, thank you, Pastor. Thank you for helping us. Our life is going to be so much better now. They walk out the door. I close the door behind them, and the Holy Spirit says, George, that was good advice. You need to take it yourself. Okay, I get it. Best thing that ever happened to our marriage was me trying to help other people in their marriages. So I realized I could see myself in men like me. And I'd look at this guy and I'd say, I wouldn't say it, but under my breath I'd say, this guy's an idiot. He's just like me. <laughs> and then I hear women in their angst and their problems and they're different than men's problems and I listened to them and I began to understand my wife a lot better as I heard other women talk about their issues and their relationships with their husband and I thought boy that's me a lot of what you heard yesterday morning is a result of sitting listening to people for years and the conflicts that they've had and the issues and the problems they've had what is really the solution to this I want to finish up soon, sometime this morning. Gently restore. Okay, this is the fourth thought. I am almost done. Go and be reconciled. Be reconciled. Alan brought this passage up on Wednesday night. Matthew chapter 5, verse 24 says, Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, the context of that is bringing an offering. And in Matthew chapter 5, the counsel is simply this. Before you bring a sacrifice or an offering, make sure you're right with your brother. Make sure that you're right in your relationships. Make sure when you're teaching Sunday school on Sunday morning that you're right with your wife or your husband, or your children, or your pastor, or your best or worst friends. Make sure your relationships are right with people. If you're going to have a strong church, you have to have strong unity and relationships among your people. And if you are in denial, or you refuse to do something about conflict resolution, you are weakening your local body. And your church will suffer. Other people will suffer because you're unwilling to do what you're supposed to do for the glory of God. Go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable situation to this conflict? Forgive as God has forgiven you. Forgive. I am forgiven. I should be able, I should be, I'm not holier than God. I should be able to forgive anybody anything. He's forgiven potentially everybody, everything. Who am I to hold a higher standard than God? Colossians 3 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's a commandment. Forgive. Look also to the interests of of other people. Life isn't all about me. Philippians 2, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then thirdly, overcome evil with good. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Does that say good or God up there? Overcome? Yeah, with good. My notes say God. I'm glad they got it right on the PowerPoint. Thank you, folks. Overcome evil with good. Do good. Do good to people. Somebody, you want to disarm an individual who doesn't like you? And I've given this advice several times to people. I had a, I'll give you one illustration, and I'm almost done. A fella comes in, and he owns a business. He had to fire a guy. They're both members of my church. He had to fire the other member of the church because he was hot-headed and lost his temper with one of the customers, and he let the guy go. Well, the guy that was let go, he begins to blah, blah, blah. He's a lousy boss. It's a lousy business. They blah, 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 blah. He's getting all kinds of people involved. So the guy that owned the company comes to me and says, what should I do? What should I do? How can I stop this? I said, this is what I want you to do. Listen to me really carefully. I want you to go down to the Outback restaurant, and I want you to buy a $100 gift certificate. And then what I want you to do is I want you to get a thank you card, take that gift certificate, and write a thank you note and say, I want to thank you for all the years of service that you've worked for me. I'm sorry it had to end this way, but I want you to know that I love you and appreciate you, and I want you and your wife to have a good dinner on me. Send it to him. See what happens. He came back to me about 10 days later. He said, Pastor, it worked. The next time I was in church, Dave came up to me and he said, oh, you know, Gary, I'm so sorry. You know, I, yeah, I said some things. That, and they reconciled. What did he do? He overcame the evil by doing something good for the person. Now you say, does that always work? Probably not. But it's a good way to start. Try that. And remember, we all do get disappointed, don't we? It always doesn't work out exactly the way we hope. But that doesn't mean we don't do what's right. We always do what's right. And then we leave the results to God. Now let me finish with this. This is the peacemaker's pledge. This is from Sandy. I mentioned him earlier. As people, this is a, like a statement, like a wedding statement, like a wedding vow. So listen carefully. As people reconciled to God by the death in resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that we are called to respond to conflict in a way that is remarkably different from the way the world deals with conflict. We also believe that conflict provides opportunities to glorify God, serve other people, and grow to be like Christ. Therefore, in response to God's love and in reliance on his grace, we commit ourselves to responding to conflict according to the following principles. It sounds like a wedding vows to me. Number one, glorify God. Instead of focusing on our own desires or dwelling on what others may do, we will rejoice in the Lord and bring him praise by depending on his forgiveness, wisdom, power and love as we seek to faithfully obey his commands and maintain a loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. Glorify God. Number two, get the log out of your own eye. Instead of blaming others for a conflict or resisting correction, we will trust in God's mercy and take responsibility for our contribution to conflicts, confessing our sins to those we have wronged, asking God to help us change any attitudes and habits 
that lead to conflict and seeking to repair any harm we have caused. Get the log out of your own eye. Number three, gently restore. Instead of pretending the conflict doesn't exist or talking about others behind their backs, we will overlook minor offenses or we will talk personally and graciously with those whose offenses seem too serious to overlook, seeking to restore them rather than condemn them. When, a conf- when in a conflict with a Christian brother or sister cannot be resolved in private, we will ask others in the body of Christ to help us to settle the matter in a biblical manner. Gently restore. Lastly, go and be reconciled. Instead of accepting premature compromise or allowing relationships to wither, we will actively pursue genuine peace and reconciliation. Forgiving others is God for Christ's sake has forgiven us and seeking just and mutually beneficial solutions to our differences. By God's grace, we will apply these principles as a matter of stewardship, realizing that conflict is an opportunity, not an accident. We will remember that success in God's eyes is not a matter of specific results, but of faithful, dependent obedience. And we will pray that our service as peacemakers will bring praise to our Lord and lead others to know his infinite love. And here's the final slide and thought. If you can give me that. One more slide. Whoops. Oh, got to watch that. <laughs> Contention is a heart issue. Contention is a pride issue. We are to make our best effort in resolving our relationships with others. And I just gave you a biblical way of doing that. And the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers because you and I, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we are ministers of reconciliation. God help us if we're at war with our family other church members, our pastor, someone who used to be my best friend. God help us. We have the resources spiritually and biblically to overcome all that and bring glory to God. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for these dear folks, these people. Oh Lord, I I long to be able to take every one of these points and live them out every day of my life. Help me, Lord, to do that. Help me to learn of you. Help me to be Christ-like. Help me to bring glory to God with my life in every way I possibly can. In his name, in Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful day, all right?